This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with the inspirational Amy Purdy. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high performance coach. Where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Amy Purdy, who became a household name when she made it to the finals of Dancing with the Stars, having had both legs amputated, shares her life and relentless focus on actually becoming an Olympic athlete, overcoming every obstacle that she faced, giving us an inside glimpse of how to never say never, no matter what. Let's just get right to the questions, if I may, my friend, and talk about these three Ps. So when and how did you first realize that you had this unconquerable desire to get back up and go again, and nothing could get you down, that resiliency was part of your DNA. Gosh, you know, I mean, it really took going through the biggest challenge of my life, being completely broken down, um, losing my legs, losing my health, thinking that I was going to lose the life that I wanted to live for me to really find myself. And I think find the things that kept me going. And I'll say that, the first thing was I, I love snowboarding. I grew up snowboarding. It was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I had this passion for it. And so when I was in the hospital, I lost my kidney function. I lost my spleen. I lost the hearing in my left ear. I lost both of my legs below the knees to septic shock. Um, I almost lost my life. I fought for my life for a couple of months and I was in a coma and I was on life support and I had less than a 2% chance of living. But what I always had was this passion for snowboarding. So I just knew that, you know, I didn't know at that time, it's in my DNA to get back up and keep going. I didn't even think about resiliency or the word resiliency at that time or how strong I really was being. I mean, first of all, I was just surviving. And it's interesting when you go through something so major and you're surviving, for me, I feel like my emotions were a little bit detached from just, you know, trying to survive. And I think that probably is a survival technique. So, um, and something that just kind of came into play at that time. Um, I, I, I didn't cry. I just was very practical kind of looking up the facts, like, okay, I lost my legs and I, I, I was a massage therapist and I wanted to be able to continue to do that. And I wanted to be able to travel the world and snowboard. And so all I cared about was snowboarding again. All I cared about was how am I going to do this again? And in fact, I didn't even think about walking as much as I did snowboarding. So in a way I kind of skipped <laughs> through the walking part just so I could get to the snowboarding part. But so I definitely think it's just for me, I, you know, looking back, I think, my gosh, I did so much and I went through so much. I lost my legs. I lost my kidneys. I lost the hearing in my left ear all at the same time. And I think I love your three P's because I would throw in their patience. Like oh, wow. I learned a lot of patience, but patience is what uh, got me through a lot of it because, yes, I had this passion but it took time to get there and I had to just be, you know, another P I'm like, 
presence. I had to just be like present. It, like, this is what it is. Like, this is what it is. But I could daydream about what I wanted to do. And I had to really learn patience to, you know, get to the point of where I was actually doing it. So there's wow. a lot. So, there's so a what I've learned is, would, uh, would you agree that adversity introduces us to ourselves that no one will ever know how strong we are until being strong is our only choice? Oh, absolutely. And I, I say the exact same thing. You just don't know your own strength until you're forced to use it or until you're forced to find it. Because I was, when I was young, I was um, very sensitive. I wasn't an athlete. I did not grow up as an athlete. I was an artist. I painted and I loved music and I loved photography. And actually, that's how I started snowboarding was all of my friends who were artists as well were also skateboarders and snowboarders and they are who got me into snowboarding. So it's not like I was raised an athlete and raised, you know, even, even with the benefits of, of sport, which I eventually did learn as I became a Paralympic athlete and realized just how important sport is um, for building resiliency because you're constantly falling and having to pick yourself back up and keep going. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, the you know, it, adversity is it, it could be a, it could be our biggest enemy or it could be our biggest ally, and it really is making the choice of how you're going to use it. And I feel like that's really been maybe the biggest drive in my life is I am faced with adversity every single day, and I can't change it. I have to put my legs on every single day. So what am I going to do with this? I love it. And you know, as uh, as we glued ourselves to the television, watching Dancing with the Stars and actually being in the live audience on one of your performances, I couldn't help but write down, pain is a signal to grow, not to suffer. Once we learn the lesson, the pain is teaching us, the pain goes away. So right. in life, there's no mistakes, only lessons. So teach us what... Uh, what we need to know in order, maybe there's a step-by-step -step process as a professional speaker, as an ambassador of resiliency, as, as this master motivator. Have you quantified any process that you went through, like step one, step two, step three, about how to get back up and go again? I don't want to put you on the spot because your life is a step-by-step -step <laughs> snapshot. But have you quantified anything that we could pass on to our listeners? You know, so when I look back at at when I first went through everything I went through, um, and some of this comes into play with Dancing with the Stars and the challenges I faced there as well, mm -hmm. but really, when I look back at, you know, really hitting rock bottom, and for me, that was losing both legs, having to have a kidney transplant, with, which was terrifying, and also losing the hearing in my left ear. That was so overwhelming you could easily just lay in bed and not get back up. There was no roadmap to where I wanted to go. I wanted to live a life of adventure. I was the same person that I was before, but now everything was so much more complicated and so overwhelming. And looking back, I realized that there were these little techniques that I kind of put into play that I kind of just learned along the way. You know, nobody taught them to me. It's almost like I had to be in this rock bottom position to figure out my way out of it. And one of those techniques is I, I learned how 
to compartmentalize because, you know, if you look at something and it could be anything, something that you need to tackle, a challenge that you're facing, and it could be a challenge that you choose or a challenge that chooses you. You have this massive challenge that you want to tackle and and it can seem so overwhelming that it's hard to even get started. You don't even know where to go with it. So for me, facing kidney transplant, losing my legs and hearing loss at the same time, I had to break it up into little pieces so that I could chip away at it and kind of absorb everything that was going on and eventually kind of move forward. So for me, like learning to walk again on two prosthetic legs, that alone was so challenging. And I'm actually kind of relearning right now because I had a major injury this last year and I'm starting over kind of from scratch. And I'm reminded right now just how hard this process is alone because you know your body is not made to stand up on two prosthetic legs it's like it's kind of barbaric two prosthetic legs they're made of steel and carbon fiber and you know our legs are made of muscle and soft tissue and bone and nothing is comfortable about it so in order to get through all of this at once i really had to like one day i would focus only on one thing which was today I'm focused on my legs and making new legs and learning to walk and whatever I need to do to get through that. And then the next day was, okay, I have to have a kidney transplant. I did my doctor's appointments, got my blood drawn, everything that day, you know, did research, whatever I needed to do to like wrap my head around the fact I was having a kidney transplant, which was also huge for me. Actually, it was more terrifying losing my legs because it was my health it was the rest of my life it wasn't a Mm. fix you know it was something that was I was taking on this challenge with medication immunosuppressive medication it could fail there's there was just so much fear going into it so I would dedicate one day to just working on my transplant and anything to kind of wrap my head around it and then the third day was okay I'm also dealing with hearing loss. So if I had to go to a doctor to see if I needed a hearing aid or if I was going to do research on it or whatever, I would do that the third day. Mm -hmm. And I just allowed myself to kind of slowly chip away at these challenges without allowing myself to get overwhelmed. And looking back, I think that's one of the best techniques that I used because I mean, life is overwhelming. Like right now with everything going on, it can feel like the world is crashing down and you can, you can stack these problems on top of each other and just get crushed under them. Or you really kind of step outside of it and organize it like, okay, today I'm jumping into this issue and I'll see what I can get through. Tomorrow I jump into that one. You know, you organize throughout the week and before you know it, these little baby steps lead to these giant leaps and, you know, that led to me being able to do all, you know, figure out my hearing, have a successful, a successful kidney transplant and not just learn to walk, but snowboard and, and do all the things that I've gone on to do. So it's just, it's really taking these little tiny baby steps and like, you know, going back to just being present and, and what lesson am I learning right now that I can use to make me stronger in the future and being patient and knowing that like, if you can see it, then you can achieve it. Another big thing for me was visualization. So I never really called it visualization. That's kind of, you know, the like fancy um, term for it these days. But to be honest, I just daydreamed a lot. I had a lot of time to daydream because Mm -hmm. I was laying in bed without my legs, wondering what my future held and what it was going to be like. And if I was going to be able to do the things that I loved again. So I found myself 
just really visualizing the future. And I asked myself a question. There was one night where I was feeling so much anxiety. I mean, the kind of anxiety that just crushes you like a panic attack of like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. this is my life. What am I going to do with my life? And, and, and nobody can help me and nobody can tell me that it's going to be okay. And I thought, I, I asked myself this question. I asked if my life was a book and I was the author, how would I want the story to go? And the reason I asked myself that question was I thought, I feel so out of control of my situation right now. So how can I find some kind of control? And I thought, well, well, what, what if, what if I could totally create my future? What if I could finish this story? Like, what would the ideal situation be? Because what I was seeing and what I was experiencing was, you know, I lost my legs. People felt sorry for me. I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. And I just had no idea what, uh, what was I was capable of. So I thought, well, what if, okay, what if I could finish this story, just the ideal situation, what would it look like? And I saw myself walking gracefully. I saw myself somehow helping other people through this journey and through the things that I learned. And I saw myself snowboarding again, and I didn't just see myself carving down this mountain of powder. I visualized it so strongly that I could feel it. Like I could feel the wind against my face. I could feel the beat of my racing heart. I felt it as if it was happening in that very second. And really, for me, that's when kind of this whole new chapter of my life began because I saw it. I didn't just see it. I didn't just hope for it, but I felt it. I felt it in my heart. And I thought if I can see it and I can believe it, then there's got to be a way that I can achieve this. I've got to be able to do this. So visualizing has always played a huge role in my life, whether it was when I lost my legs, trying to figure out my future, or just being a professional snowboarder, standing up at the top of a uh, you know, a, a race course, getting ready to pull out of the race gates or dancing with the stars and sitting yeah. back trying to visualize the millions of <clears throat> steps that I need to take when I can't even feel my feet on the floor. So visualizing is just, it, it's just been huge for me. You know, you said so many things to recap a little bit before we move on. Walt Disney was the first one, I think, who said what you just said, and that is Seeing isn't believing, but believing is seeing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love that. I also, I, also, yeah. I also wrote down that we can't always control what happens, but we can always control what happens next. Oh, I love that. And I actually – it's so funny because I just said that in a speech the other day. Exactly, to the T, that's exactly – and I wrote down, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. And from a marriage perspective, you losing part of your hearing is probably <laughs> one of the reasons why you've been happily married for so long. Trust me. It's, I'm and telling that's you. Positive. That's a blessing. I'm telling you. You have to find <laughs> the benefits. You really do. Like my husband snores and all I have to do is roll over to my right side and I can just shut it all out you know <laughs> so Man, you're giving me some ideas thank you so much <laughs> this is true well let's get to the next p because i'm fascinated your father whom i've never met but i can only imagine what a, what a superhuman he is he he gives he's the perfect match he's the one that donates his kidney for your kidney transplant yeah. and that brings us to the second p that qualifies you and everyone who wants to be a power player 
it, 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 it's the preparation. So the question, Amy, is who inspired you to prepare or how did you prepare? How did your parents, how did your support system play into this? And what did they specifically say or do to, to not enable you to complain or blame, but to take 100% responsibility for your life? That's one of the things that I talk about you behind your back is that of all the people I've ever <laughs> met, you are one who has taken 100% responsibility for your, for your life, the ups and downs. So let's talk a little bit about pre preparation and how your support system played into that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really kind of interesting because so first of all, my family is amazing has been amazing through everything. They never left my side. So we got very lucky that when I was in the hospital, my sister knew um, the the CEO of the hospital and he allowed my family to have an ICU room right next door to mine, which my parents moved into. So we got very lucky that my family, there wasn't visiting hours. My family could literally be by my side 24 seven. And, wow. uh, and just knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that I had love and knowing that I had support no matter what. I mean, that was huge. That gave me, you know, a kind of a foundation of confidence that if nothing else, I've got my family and I've got love and support. But what's also kind of interesting to me is how, I don't know if this is just me being kind of rebellious, but like my, my family went through a lot of the emotional, um, stuff. I mean, they saw me almost die. They were the ones sitting on the edges of their seats every day to, you know, just hear back from a doctor after surgery to see if I survived it. And so they went through these major emotional ups and downs. And I remember just seeing how broken they all were. My mom was absolutely heartbroken. The fact that I lost both of my legs, you know, she had so many questions like, could I be a mother? And you know, how am I going to get around on two prosthetic legs? And I love to hike and I'm a massage therapist and I snowboard. And it's like, you know, my, my family took on so much and I saw that heartbreak in, in their faces every single day. And I didn't want them to be sad. I, I, I kept feeling like I, um, I'm going to be okay. And I am going to show them that I'm going to be okay. So in a way, my family going through the emotional depth that they went through actually made me kind of this super strong one. I mean, we were all strong, but I saw them crying and I, and therefore I kind of refused to cry because I wanted to show them that everything was going to be okay. And I don't know where that sense of faith or belief that everything was going to be okay really came from. Um, but I knew that it was, and I, I knew it in my heart. And so I kind of, yeah, I became kind of an emotional support actually for my family as much as they were an emotional support for me. Um, so yeah, so that, yeah, so, but of course having my family around me, my mom actually quit her job so that she could take care of me. Cause at this time I was, I had doctor's appointments every single day when I was home and I was 83 pounds and still very, very sick. 
and mm -hmm. uh, and then I I fought the idea of having a kidney transplant because it was so much more to wrap my head around. I, I was still wrapping my head around the fact that I was losing my legs and I had to have a kidney transplant. And um, I decided to just move forward with having my family checked um, as far as blood work goes to see if anybody matched. And my dad happened to be almost a perfect match, which they looked at these six different antigens. And if you're a twin, you'll match six out of six. And usually a parent matches three out of six. But I actually matched five out of six um, with my dad, which is very rare. And wow. I felt so blessed. You know, the doctors told me how rare it was to be that good of a match with a parent. And so I, I felt so blessed and suddenly very motivated to have this transplant. And so when you talk about preparation, one way that I prepared to have my kidney transplant was, like I said, I fought it. I fought it and resisted it and couldn't imagine having a transplant. It scared me to death because you have to take immune suppressive medication. Um, there's all these side effects. They say your kidney could fail. They call it a Band-Aid because it's really not a fix. And at the time that I had my transplant, the average kidney transplant only lasted nine years. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if I live until I'm 80? How many kidney transplants is that? And uh, there's just a lot to worry about. Plus, you know, you, they crash your immune system so that you don't fight the kidney off. So you could end up getting infections. And that's what caused all of this in the first place. So there was just all of this fear. And I remember telling my family, no way in hell am I having a transplant? I will stay on dialysis the rest of my life if I have to. So that's how much wow. I resisted it until I just decided to take that step have my family tested and my dad matched so well that suddenly my attitude completely changed and I thought, okay, let's do this. And so I then worked on just being as mentally prepared as I could be. And I started thinking, you know, I'm sure my body is going to accept this kidney more if I mentally accept it. And so I started waking up every day leading into my transplant thinking, how grateful I am to have this opportunity, how grateful and lucky I am that my dad matches me this well. And I had amazing doctors. And so I went into the transplant feeling grateful. And every single day after that, literally until today, it's been 20 years that I've had my transplant. And every single day I wake up feeling so grateful for this opportunity to be healthy. And it keeps me on my toes because at any time I know my kidney could, could fail. And so every day that I'm healthy, I want to live it to the best of my ability. And I believe that that kind of mental preparation of just fully mentally accepting it uh, allowed my it. body to it. accept it. <laughs> You're so amazing. So the, the final P as we wind down our time together is obviously pursuit. You know, uh, when you say patience, it's so funny, as you know, as a philosopher, and you know, I've written a bunch of books, and I think things through, maybe I over analyze and get caught up in the paralysis of analysis. Right. But I've always said <laughs> patience, you know, we're taught patience is a virtue, not to contradict you, but to embellish and to add to what you've been teaching the world. We've been taught patience is a virtue, and I'm thinking to myself, not always. Any virtue taken to the extreme can become a vice. Patience allows us to right. never begin. 
Right, right. So the higher word that you're teaching me that I've always just, when I fill in the blanks watching you do anything, reading anything that you post, is that perseverance is patience with the purpose. Right. So you you don't just mindlessly yeah. wait your turn. You proactively take your turn and do all the things that you've, that you've been teaching us, all the things that you continuously do. So the final P is pursuing your passion. So I want to, I want to capsulize that into a, a, a powerful last question, if I may. So it's a two-part question. You know, how do you remain motivated to keep pursuing your passion to serve others, not just to snowboard, obviously, but to change the world and to inspire the world through your, through your life. And the second part of this question is based on professor Randy Pausch, who made famous the words last lecture. If you had one hour to live, what would you say to the world? So Amy, I'm putting you on the hot seat now. <laughs> if you had, if, if this was your last lecture, if you had one hour to live and you had two or three of your children, your future children sitting at your, at your feet, what would you say to the world? What's your last lecture in a nutshell that really has kept you motivated to continually pursue your passion to change the world? Gosh, I mean, first of all, life can change so fast. And that's something that I've experienced a couple of times in my life. And knowing that is what keeps me living my life as full as I possibly can every single day. Um, Gosh, I would say that besides life just being so short, I mean, really, it is our challenges that are a key to happiness. It's our challenges that motivate us. Like our challenges aren't something to hide from or to step away from or to run away from. We need to look into them and figure out how to use them. I mean, my challenges are what has gotten me to where I'm at today. If I didn't do my, if I didn't lose my legs, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be competitively snowboarding. I wouldn't have gone on to dance, do Dancing with the Stars. I wouldn't even be on stage speaking about all the stuff that I've learned. So, I think it's really digging deep and looking inside ourselves. Look at your challenges and look at those as opportunities because they are. <laughs> I want to say something was, so profound, but I, I'm like, no, that you was know, it's, so profound. Your, your whole <laughs> life's profound, my friend. I mean, I'd rather see a sermon preached than hear one any day. I'd rather you would walk with me than merely point the way. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my guest has been the incomparable Amy Purdy. I love you. I honor you. Uh, and you are just so amazing. So as I usually close with my tagline, remember, my friends, when you finally decide to be a power player, your power play begins in you. Amy Purdy has explained that and pontificated in an emotional, powerful way for the last 30 minutes. I love you. I appreciate you so much. Remember, until next time, quantify your takeaway and go make a power play. Dan Clark, thanks again, Amy Purdy. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.